Welcome back uh, after a long absence to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Uh, this isn't a traditional podcast episode. Uh, what it is, is basically um, we're going to be doing a bit of a bite-sized review here. Uh, it won't be a full review, but in essence, the uh, reason behind it is that uh, me, that's Mike, hello, uh, I went to go yesterday at time of recording to see Star Trek The Motion Picture at the cinema, at the Tyneside Cinema specifically, uh, to see the new Director's Edition 4K restoration, and I wanted to sort of get some thoughts out and uh, do a quick review of it for anybody uh, who hasn't necessarily seen it or was wondering uh, any questions about it, including my co-host, who is here uh, with me, DK, hello. <laughs> hello. Uh, DK obviously is familiar with the motion picture and the director's edition, uh, as it's called, um, but hasn't seen the new restoration. And I don't think you've ever seen it on the big screen, as far as I recall. Yeah, I did. I've, I've seen the original oh, theatric on the big screen. Yeah, uh, when we're doing the oh. Star Trek Top 10, uh, they were showing it, they showed one to six prior to showing Generations on the day of its release. So I was, oh, I was right. there for that. Cool. So, All yeah, right, but... fair enough. <laughs> so you, not, the, well, uh, you... not the new yeah. one. You'll know uh, as, as I ramble about what a great experience it is, then you'll be able to uh, either relate or uh, hopefully not think me too pompous about it. But I had a really good time and enjoyed it, so I wanted to get into that. But um, did you have any specific questions about this version that you wanted to ask me or anything about uh, what I may or may not have seen, <laughs> anything like that? Yeah, well, I mean, the, one of the questions I did ask you yesterday, which is my favourite line, which seems to be in the theatre. Uh, original theatrical cut or is it the tv version I, I can never tell it's got as many iterations as bloody blade runner this thing but uh <laughs> yeah the line where Hura says it looks like it could be crewed by a crew of tens of thousands and mccoy says or by a crew of a thousand ten miles tall and uh <laughs> yeah it seems to have been left out and it seems to have been left out on this version is that is that yeah right? That's definitely not a line that's in there. Um, that, that, yeah, I mean, I, I was paying very close attention to the differences and stuff, and I, I would have remembered, I would have remembered them mentioning something ten thousand feet tall or whatever like that. But um, yeah, yeah, uh, it definitely wasn't a line that was there. But um, yeah, that, there were still a couple of lines that still bug me that I can't believe they haven't cut out because they still create a bit of a continuity issue with the Star Trek franchise overall in terms of when this film is set. Because I think it was always generally accepted that it was it wanted to be set in 2370, but the original series ended in their time around 2369, and yet you still have Kirk saying he hasn't logged a star hour in two and a half years, and yeah. the Enterprise has been like in refit for a year and a half. So I'm like, it's got to be at least 2372. It wouldn't make sense otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> But that's just a geeky nitpick that I picked up on because I was like, if you're going to go altering it, then you could easily cut that line about uh, you haven't logged a single. I suppose you couldn't because it's kind of, I suppose in a way, it's kind of pivotal to Kirk's butting yeah, heads with Decker. Decker, um, yeah. But yeah, it's just kind of annoyed me. But then again, I suppose they probably just said that it's set later now. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but never mind. Um, so yeah, anything else you were, you were wondering about? Yeah, I was going to ask... Uh... Vija, has it? I mean, I remember speaking to you before you were going to go and see, and apparently they they'd altered Vija, clarified the the, oh, so much. the ship a little. Yeah. How's it look now? Definitely, that is the one thing that was the most noticeable is that Vija now, what was just a bunch of abstract concepts as far as I could tell, and was very kind of two thousand and one surreal and just shapes and stuff, now has absolute form. And you can completely tell what it's all supposed to be. 
and what's going on. Um, the most noticeable thing that you'll see, because it's often cropped up in like searches that I've looked at, is the actual central ship itself once the clouds all dissipated and the ship heads towards Earth. Now it is pristine. You can see exactly what it's supposed to be, what it's meant to look like, and there's no blurring whatsoever. So it looks, as far as I'm concerned, spectacular. Um, and you can actually get a sense of like, oh, wow, that's what they had in mind, <laughs> which I've never really seen before. But um, uh, aside from that, there's things that I never noticed. And it could just be me, admittedly. Um, but there's a moment quite early on. It's like when they first encounter Vija and they realize that it hasn't sort of read them as hostile because it obviously hasn't just destroyed them. And Kirk says something along the lines of take us up by so many meters and then glide us across. And then I don't recall ever seeing this or ever really being able to notice what's been going on. But there's a gorgeous sort of two minutes when the Enterprise is is above the Vija sort of ship itself and just literally goes over it. Um, for like two minutes, scanning every inch of what's there and everything to give you a real sense that this is massive. Um, and then kind of once it gets to the the backside of it, so to speak, it does like a 3.180 degree turn so that it's facing the back of it. And then it fires another probe at them. And I was like, I don't recall ever making that out before. <laughs> so, um, I remember, when, just I remember Kirk saying, you know, take us to uh, so many meters and yeah. Sulu going, what? Uh, yeah, yeah. But I don't remember the uh, the visuals after. I certainly don't remember it doing a 180. Yeah, the Enterprise definitely does a complete turn to face the back of Vija because it's now, like, it starts out at the front, goes over it, spends about two minutes with the Enterprise looking like this tiny thing traversing, like, the top of Vija to show you again, this thing is gargantuan, and then stops, turns around, and faces the back of it. Um, oh, like, wow, see, I've, I've always <laughs> thought that it, it goes over the top and at some kind of midpoint where there's some kind of maybe a trench or a, an access point, it drops down. I thought they were just dropping down. I've never no, no, it's, it. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, you can tell that it's definitely the back of the ship. And then the second probe that it fires out at them is from like the back part of the ship, which glows a different color and everything now. So it's way more clarity to what's going on there. Um, yeah. And it's the same when obviously there's lots of scenes when they go inside and because of the kind of filmmaker, I suppose, that Robert Wise is and because maybe they were writing the script on the fly, as we know, so they were trying to fill time. There's a lot of stuff that, for me, was just, like, boring and a bit rubbish in the original version where it was, like, I'm supposed to have this grand sense of awe and scale, but it was just, like I said, obscure kind of shapes and just lights flashing at me, and I was like, well, what the heck am I looking at? What's going on here? Whereas now, when they do that thing through the inside of Vija every little thing has form everything you can see platforms you can see concentric shapes um for the first time when spock says like this is the epsilon 9 station perfectly preserved these are all the planets it's visited you can actually see them uh like you get a sense of what spock's looking at and it looks again it's like humongous and it's like at one point he's spock almost seems to be like floating in space over one of the planets that it scanned which again was Something that I can't remember ever making out before. So. I remember the scene in, in the versions I've seen where it says the Epsilon 9 station stored here with every detail. And all you see is like some kind of framework, a, a yeah. small amount of framework on either side. So that's been improved, has it? Yeah, there's kind of, it's hard to describe, but there's kind of like globes that seem to contain like either holographic environments or whatever, and like Spock's in one of them, and then another globe like floats out in front of him and you can see through it that space is there and the Epsilon 9 station's there. So it actually is the station itself. 
uh, and it is like as Spock says, it's just preserved in perfect detail. <laughs> so I was like, that is all right because yeah. because up until now, it's just looked like Spock's kind of on some weird trip. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it has a holographic record once he goes through the aperture, but then yeah. the next time, obviously, when the Enterprise goes through the aperture, the environment's completely changed. So it it, yeah. it, it has kind of left left you a little wondering. So if that if you know if what you say is what I'm imagining. I'm looking forward to seeing this. Yeah, it's kind of hard to describe, but I just I like that everything kind of has form because, like I said, even when Spock's talking about this is clearly a machine of some kind, and like I said, what looks like it could be like mechanical platforms or globes that could be captured environments, like I don't know, kind of a brainiac from Superman type situation. Yeah. I guess actually, it kind of you get a sense of that, which, like I said, I've never really it never occurred to me before. I was just kind of I couldn't quite grasp the concept of it whereas now i'm like oh i see each of these globes is an atmosphere in the same way as the one boxing but each one contains a different planet that vija has or a holographic record at least of a planet they've visited or the station they've destroyed or whatever um so yeah that made a lot more sense and even spock's journey through the like concentric rings and the um this this always baffled me but the thing when he goes through and he's like this i'm going through some kind of electric field that must be some kind of power source for a vessel this the, immense the and I'm like, conduit thing, yeah. yeah and he's he's getting shocked the entire way through by the same looking blue lightning that like destroyed the klingons and stuff i'm like why is that not hurting him why is he not fussed about it whatsoever <laughs> yeah. like i get that it's probably inert but like a little line of dialogue instead of him just like i'm just floating through this conduit that must be used to power this thing i'm like and doesn't it hurt what the heck man <laughs> But uh, yeah, that that is the one thing that because it's clearer, I was kind of like, is that surely you didn't intend that? But whatever. Um, yeah. But that's the only kind of nitpick that I have about the clarity of stuff. So um, is is, yeah. is the like representation of Ilya still at the end of Spock's? I presume so. Yeah. Yes, and it looks ten times better. It is so much more impressive than it was before because. For starters, it's more than just the head and shoulders, which is kind of the sense that I got of it before. Um, so yeah. there's kind of, it's almost like a whole body. It looks clearer and crisper. Again, it's kind of hard to explain, but it just seems, and maybe it's because I was watching on the big screen, but it actually seemed like huge, like Spock is in, in a huge representation of a person. And I was like, wow, that is, again, a sense of awe that I got from that. And like, wow, what is going on here? Um, yeah. Was completely different than what I'd experienced before. I was going to ask how much how much of it do you think is down to the fact that you were watching it at the cinema rather than at home? There's bits and pieces. I mean, there's stuff that I know fine well uh, aren't going to be that different because they're just I just have a connection to them. So as much as I enjoyed it, like I was getting a little kind of almost misty eyed when they were touring the Enterprise, and I was yeah. noticing details and stuff that I hadn't necessarily before. Um, but at the same time, I've you know I paid so much attention to that scene that there's nothing really new there. It's just a question of like, I, I, I've never really had the time before to be like, wow, I can see every inch of Aztec on this hole and I can see like exactly where the ring is, where they're going to dock the little docking pod. And I can see uh, the drive section has, I've never really noticed that it kind of extends out at the front before like a nub and then sort of glides back in. And I was like, ah, oh, it's weird that I've, I mean, I'm sure it was all there, but it was just something that only because I was on the big screen could I would be like, ah, okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, and for whatever reason, anytime somebody's like floating in space, because there's a lot of that, they're like thruster suits and the repair guys and stuff. Um, I, I, it really seemed like, wow, that's amazing. A guy's floating in space as opposed to just, oh yeah, fair enough. <laughs> 
yeah how's how's the uh the print overall is is it like watching it can you is there a noticeable difference then i'm, I'm guessing there is from the detail that you're picking up i noticed a very noticeable improvement i will say there's one scene um it's when the, when the klingon ships were attacked uh, the compositing doesn't look 100 percent because they're kind of they're in the blue cloud layer as it were and you can still kind of see the shape of the the ship if you know what i mean around the outside which i was like oh that looks like it's been badly composited in weirdly which i wouldn't expect on a restoration especially a 4k restoration um but i can forgive it because the klingon ships themselves looked gorgeous so i was like if that's the trade-off to have like every last square inch of a katinga class ship looking pristine and i could really get a sense of what it looks like and where they all are and stuff then i guess i'll take it and that was literally the only moment i noticed it so Again, maybe they just, or maybe it was something to do with the color of the cloud layer. They just couldn't quite get rid of that. But yeah. When it comes to Vija itself, obviously they've, you know, as you say, they've defined the the ship more. But does it take away from any of the mystery at the start? I mean, is the cloud still there, or is, is it played oh, yeah. down uh, less? Or no, no. At, at the start, it's exactly the same as it always was. You don't see Vija until the Enterprise is, like, in it, effectively. <laughs> That's why I think, like I said, in a way you can appreciate what the filmmakers were probably going for, because the first time you see Vija is the Enterprise literally traversing the entire length of it. So it doesn't just give you... Like I said before, it was always a bit of a vague concept, and, like, I get that it's big, but I can't quite... Whereas now the first time you see it is, like, a ship that we've already established. As I say, I think that it also gives that kind of a lot of what seems like i guess padding and, and treading water at the start meeting because like i said you see little people and how kind of dwarfed they are by the enterprise so you know how big that ship is and yeah. then to see that ship looking like absolutely tiny as it traverses Vija really gives you the sense of like how flipping big is this thing <laughs> you know what I mean? so yeah but in general it, general Vija's a little less nebulous than it has been in previous versions yeah Definitely. But yeah, to, to answer your previous question, the mystery and everything is still there. It's still it still starts off as just the cloud layer, uh, the blue kind of clouds and the blue energy that dissipates everything, you know, <laughs> looking like it's destroying them. Um, but again, that effect, I don't think it's necessarily been improved again. Maybe it was because it was the big screen, um, but the effect of it like disintegrating the Klingon ship seemed a lot more visceral and a lot more sort of slow and... And uh, obviously, you know, the visuals are a, a big impact and you've touched upon it. But uh, just how, you know, how beautiful is the uh, the dry dock sequence now? Well, like I said, it's it's gorgeous. And you, there is improvement, as much as I said before, like there's not going to be much they can do to it. And they haven't. But again, I suppose you wouldn't because you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't uh, try to touch up the Mona Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, having said that, you can tell there's a picture improvement. The Enterprise itself which always came across as, to me, again, this could just be me, but it always came across as good metal gray, is pure white in a sense that it's never looked before. And I was like, okay, wow, this looks really cool. The actual sense of lighting and the color correction and everything just seems so much more improved. And the scenes, like I said already, but the scenes that when they like go over the top of the saucer and you can see the lights shining and you see the specific sort of uh, light of the dry dock shining on it and everything was like, oh, that, <laughs> that was a thing of beauty, absolutely stunning. So, yeah. <laughs> nice one. And I'm, I'm guessing that they've uh, they've remastered the score as well. How's Goldsmith's score holding up? As it sounds Goldsmith's like score is incredible. I, I, I honest, This is no lie. I came home last night and I was busy doing something on my phone and was bored and asked the my Amazon Echo, 
can you please play the score from the uh, 4K restoration of the motion picture? And she did, and I was like, oh, that is something else. It's, I mean, it's it's the same music, but the fact that it's so good anyway. Uh, and I did see somebody on Twitter who was about to see it saying, oh, I hope it's still got the overture, and I'm just going to say, yep, <laughs> it still starts with oh, the overture, nice. which is perfect because, again, that was the first thing that I saw after all the blooming adverts and stuff. And I appreciated it so much more because it's the sort of thing that obviously on home video, I would either be getting ready to watch and gathering snacks or doing something else or just fast forward through it. But because you're in the cinema and have to, the sense of sort of awe and wonder of like just this star field with that music coming at you, I think it sets you up for the film in such a way that I'm not skipping that ever again, frankly. Yeah. Yeah, I will say that is one thing that they did not have in the version I saw at the cinema. He just went straight to the, you know, brought the credits yeah, the right away. Theme from the motion picture that they later used for next gen, basically. Yeah. Oh, nice. So that's that's something to look forward to. And what about the, uh, how's the Colin R sequence? Anything changed on that one? Uh, not that I could tell. I mean, it looks better. Um, uh, but then again, the director's edition version already looked better as far as I could tell, because I know that I had an issue with it looking a bit vague in the original. And I know that when they released the director's edition, I was impressed because they'd added detail to the statue and what looked like another statue in the background. And Vulcan looked a lot more uh, real, yeah. I guess. Um, I remember when I, when I first saw it, I just thought, why is that massive rock got what yeah. looks like two legs? And, and, and I never yeah. liked it until the director's edition. Yes. But the same situation happens here, but uh, yeah, it's I was the same as you. The first time I watched the theatrical version, I was like, why is there what looks like a 10-foot stick of red jelly in front of Spock? What is what is that? Whereas there's there's no such question now. You see two glorious, proud uh, Vulcan statues, one holding a lurper, which is pretty cool. <laughs> so, um, and then it cuts to Spock, the colonel sequence, and I mean, enough. You don't need to say enough about Nemo's acting and stuff in that, so yeah, fair play. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. cool. And what about the uh, the interior shots? Have you noticed any, any noticeable change in scenes or any dialogue added or maybe some removed? I'm not necessarily that good at picking up on those kinds of things. I know that I didn't hear that line that you mentioned, but I didn't notice any kind of change of dialogue or anything like that. Like the first time I watched the director's edition, I do think it flows better uh, and it seems less ponderous than the original theatrical version. Um, so it seems like they've cut out bits from the start, which were, which still, don't get me wrong, it still is ridiculous. Like, um, I remember this time around, I was watching it and I was enjoying every minute. Don't get me wrong, I was loving it. But then when Spock shuttle pulls up and he boards the Enterprise, I was like, yay, the crew's finally all together. I look at my watch and it's like 45, 50 minutes into the movie. And I'm like, it shouldn't take 50 minutes for any movie to assemble the crew. <laughs> that really is just like, you can tell they were writing it on the fly type situation. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Um, so it still suffers a little bit from that. And I still would personally have scripted for the first movie of Star Trek and the first time they'd been back in years, I would have scripted something that gets the crew back together as soon as possible rather than dragging it out over that long of a time. Um, but I appreciate what they were doing with it. And it's that kind of movie, which again, I could appreciate a lot more this time around that it, it is a film that's taking its time and that's asking big questions and being quite like, what I might call ponderous, some people might call, you know, thought-provoking or thoughtful or whatever. So yeah. I kind of appreciated that more. I seem to recall that in the when we did our top tens back in what was it, February, I think, or March. Uh, I think I had it higher than you in my top yeah. ten. I'm just wondering well, since since this, has your opinion of it changed, do you think? 
Definitely. I won't give away my score yet because I may as well finish with that. But I noticed that your review, your score on Letterboxd for it out of five stars is way higher than mine would ever have been. Mine's gone up significantly, I'll say that. But um, yeah, I think your opinion of this was always higher than mine. But having seen it like this gave me an appreciation that I've not really had before. Like I said, it doesn't it's weird to say it doesn't hide the flaws. But because it was an experience that I was prepped for, because I knew exactly the contents, more or less, and because the fact that it was on the big screen was a novelty, I never felt it dragged in the way that I know that the story does. But at the same time, like I said, I can still recognize that objectively there's things that I wouldn't have done in this. And it does take yeah. far too long, for example, to get going. And it is like I, I, certain scenes I can understand, like I said, like when I'm saying cut that line, then you can't because it's the Kirk uh, Decker conflict. There is still things that baffle me that are probably, like I said, seemingly a result of the fact that there was no script and they were writing as they were going. So stuff that has never rung true with me, like the we've created a wormhole, now there's an asteroid coming at us sequence, just seems like kind of like you've just invented an obstacle to pass five or ten minutes because it, it, you don't it, really it, know. We've got these special effects. <laughs> we've not really got much else. Let's throw yeah. them at the screen. Yeah, exactly. And I get that, yes, it does extend the Kirk and Decker situation with him knowing about the phasers not being fired and firing torpedoes instead. But again, this time around, I just found myself asking more questions. One other change that I did notice, and again, forgive me if this is just me, other people might have a different experience, but um, I have to address the the horrible grisly transporter death sequence um, oh, yeah. because I've always hated it. And I noticed that when we when I went in to see the film and it tells you the sort of BBFC certificate and the reasons why it says like one scene of um, moderate horror. And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is definitely a scene of moderate horror. But having said that this time around, it seems like they've actually toned that down. If that makes sense, as opposed to yeah, what right. it used to be um, perhaps because they realized that it was traumatizing for a generation of us. <laughs> um, I mean, ev everything seems to still happen the same way, but as far as I could tell, they cut the horrible blood curdling scream down to probably about half of what I remember it being again, that could be my memory. Um, and the kind of scene of them twisting up horribly in the transport is now so much shorter and just goes into a more kind of indistinct blur that you can't quite, you know, imagine horrible things yeah. about as much as that line is still very like what we got back didn't live. Fortunately, is still just like, oof, it's enough said there. <laughs> but, uh, I yeah. remember seeing it when I when I seen it when I was a kid, and my first reaction was, "I'm with McCoy on this." You yeah, never get me in one of those things. Yeah, and that's another thing that's always again, it's a little nitpick, but it's always bugged me afterwards that like. Um, Scotty says something or somebody says something along the lines of transporters are working now and they start beaming up perfectly normally. Immediately yeah. after that just happened, yeah. I don't even care. I'm taking a shot. <laughs> yeah. And you can tell me oh. they're fixed. I'm not taking that risk. <laughs> uh, you touched upon the spot walk earlier. Uh, yes. One thing that I was looking forward to when I got the director's cut of the DVD, I was hoping that they were going to kind of restore the whole section where Kurt goes after him I'm guessing that's mm -hmm. not been restored in the original theatrical cut uh, Kirk left the uh, the bear in a mm -hmm. different suit to the one that he eventually finds spot with and for years everybody's wondering what that was about apparently they shot a sequence where Kirk went out to look for Spock and a lot of little kind of drones from Vija attacked him and ragged his right. suit something chronic, so he had to make it back, then change into the suit that we eventually saw him in. And I keep hoping 
I, you know, it, it's probably wishful thinking. I keep hoping that at some point they'll restore some version of that. I'm guessing. I'm guessing that's just as it is, basically. They've, yeah, because from the director's that's... cut that I've seen since, they've just completely removed that section with Kirk in the alternate spacesuit. Yeah, that's exactly the same here. I was just going to say that that does actually come off as a little bit of like. I'm not sure what that scene is for because it, it seems like to avoid any kind of conflict there, they've just cut it significantly down. So it is just basically Kirk floats out of the ship to supposedly go and get Spock. And then before you know it, Spock's floating back through the aperture and that's it. And I was like, well, what was the sense of Kirk going out there? He didn't do anything. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I know that there are scenes that were cut that, again, I would love to see because there's scenes of like Vija showing Spock different screens and stuff that I've seen pictures and stuff of, but... Uh, unless they're on the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray or the 4K, um, they're not in, in the film anywhere. They haven't added anything significant along those lines, I'm afraid. Yeah, I think I think the main bugbear with me is, and this is where it's got confusing to me over the years, is my favourite line, I think it was actually, it actually came from the TV, the, you know, the TV version. Yeah. I know they did a special one for, was it, was it CBS back in the day? And that's the one that they showed on ITV. Uh, right. when they first showed it on British TV. And, you know, back then there were no such thing as physical media to purchase. So it was just basically recording from TV and watching back at a later date. And I remember watching and re-watching that movie. And there are extended scenes in from the, uh, in what is essentially turned out to be the TV version, like Sulu trying to impress Ilya and making an ass of himself. No, it's not there either. <laughs> These are all yeah. the deleted scenes that were probably put in for the TV version, as is often the case. But yeah, yeah, there's there's no sign of any of that. I'm afraid. But in in but you know, conversely, it's probably that kind of stuff that led to accusations of it being too bloated. So yeah. the direct cut is you know, it's a lot more tight. It's it's a lot tighter. It's a lot more punchy, and you you don't get that sense of it dragging as much. Yeah, exactly. Um, the only time that Again, this is a line they probably could and should have cut that um, I know, you know, things take a long time in space or whatever, but it's like the Enterprise launches from space dock, then the scene cuts and the next scene is Kirk doing a captain's log saying um, it has now been over an hour since we launched, we're going to have to risk going to warp in the solar system. And I'm just thinking it takes you an hour to get out of the solar system from Earth. That seems a little excessive. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like how slow it's, is your I mean, half impulse speed, dude? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I th I think I remember uh, on the directors, the directors got on the DVD again. I've I've not seen it, you know, the the version you have, but from the theatrical cut, the aft view when they're leaving Earth is a lot more improved. I'm, oh, uh, yeah. I remember the first time it look, you, you look like oh that looks a bit dodgy, but I know that they'd updated that for the the directors on dvd so i'm wondering how it looks on the 4k much of the same situation it's gorgeous i mean it, it, it's it's as beautiful as you would expect but having said that it's the kind of standard that we expect nowadays so if it was on one of the newer shows i guess i wouldn't i would blink and not think about it and which is why i probably didn't but i was like okay i appreciate that but having said that one thing i did notice along similar lines is that when vija um, shoots out all of its probes to take different spots around earth uh, that does look significantly improved as they kind of gather their place and you see the earth there. Um, I, I thought that looked very different. Would you say it's, it's more FX uh, shots that have been played around with rather than the uh, the physical cast I shots? I think that's the more noticeable thing, but I will say there's definitely been an improvement to the print because it looks pristine. Like you can, 
this is going to be sound really weird, but as somebody who watches a lot of films, I know it's a vague kind of thing, but I can tell when a film was made in the 70s, if you know what I mean, because it has a certain grain or a certain mm. sheen to it where you're like, yeah, yeah. Whereas this looks like it was filmed yesterday. Now <laughs> it's kind of yeah. like... Well, that, I mean, that leads spotless. me to the next question as, as such. As Has the colour palette been altered at any point? Because I do remember it, it was a very science fiction set of beiges especially when, you know, it was going around the wreck deck and stuff like that. Yeah, It seems like it has, but I mean, again, this is a personal thing, so apologies if anybody's a fan of them, but I still think these uniforms are ugly. I still hate them. I think it was a really poor choice, frankly, so there's nothing you can do with the sort of beige, grey, brown, drab uniforms. Um, but at least when Kirk's wearing one, like the white, like you can see in my profile, that sparkles and that shines, and it's like, okay, I appreciate that at least, and... Um, yeah, I'm still confused as to what colour like Spock's wearing, for example, because it looks somewhere between blue and grey. I'm yeah. not quite sure which it is. So that's Maybe not that, improved. Yeah. It's not like any clarity he's added there. Let's, we'll put it this way. You cannot imagine Scotty from the later movies in one of those uniforms. No, but I will say it. I, I hadn't realised, again, this is something that was always the case, but I'm just dumb. It, this was the first time that I realised that the engineering crew have those cool sort of bulky white things that they end up wearing in like Wrath of Khan and stuff. Yeah. Um, so credit to them at least for that, because that I, I do like the look of those for engineers. It gives you the more of the sense for me of like we're working around dangerous equipment and the warp core and stuff. So, yeah. Nice one. So, is there anything else that you you've noticed that we've not brought up yet? Or yeah, uh, well, one other thing that I wanted to bring up. It, sorry, it's going backwards a bit, but um, I have to ask you a question here. Can you recall during the dry dock sequence there ever being? Uh, little panels of the ship that were open with people working inside of them and stuff. Off the top of my head, and I've seen this a lot, so maybe I, yeah. you know, maybe I'm just so caught up in the moment that I'm I'm missing it. But I, I I'm there... gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go and double check because I don't recall that, and it's the sort of thing, and it, because it's in an important sequence and it's very centrally in your face, because it was at first they're at such a distance in the travel pod that I was like, oh, I don't remember being there being bits of the hull that hadn't been attached yet. Um, is this to give it the sense that the Enterprise is more incomplete? And then as the travel pod gets closer, you realize they are attached, they're just open, and there's little people working on them in there and stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, I don't yeah, remember I don't, ever seeing that. <laughs> I don't recall that at all. Yeah, fair enough. No. Uh, this, uh, it, it, you just reminded me, how does the effects on the pod look now? Because obviously oh, so good. in the theatrical cut, it, you, you could very much tell that it would just you know, projection of Kirk and Scotty on the uh, yeah. On the I should have uh, I should have said actually that was one other criticism because I, even though I said the, the Klingon ship was the only one, there is a couple of frames where Kirk and Scotty look way too two D and flat, and I'm not sure why that is if it's a result of them doing something to the other effects around them or whatever. But it just seems like if this makes sense, it seems like they they have the travel pod and someone's just stuck a photo. Of Kirk and Scotty yeah. in the front of it, but it's it's yeah. a couple of frames, but it really bugs because it's so. Ooh, what's happened? <laughs> oh well, oh well. You can't have everything, I guess. No, I mean, it, like I said, it's a couple of frames, and the rest of that sequence is so good. And every craft that you see is now so well defined that um, this is going to sound like I'm bragging, but I have some of the shuttlecraft sets from Eagle Moss. Um, and there's things that it says that were in the motion picture that I don't recall ever seeing before. And now I notice them. So like the little yellow worker bee, for example, yeah. 
I, I spotted it this time around and was like, there it is. <laughs> uh, obviously the travel pod, but it just looks as gorgeous as, as the physical model does now. Um, yeah. The air tram I still love. I, I know it's it's something and nothing, but for whatever reason, I just really love the design of that thing as well. <laughs> so, yeah. The, 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 the thing that Kirk lands in, Star, in Starfleet right at yeah. the beginning. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't know you could even get that as a, as a model. Oh, yeah, I have one. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have tracks or anything, so probably yeah. it won't work. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And uh, obviously, you've got the uh, the upside down regular one. Oh yeah, and that looks really improved as well. Because again, that it seems like they focus a lot more on that. And that was the other thing I was going to say. As much as I criticised those couple of frames in the travel pod, other scenes when it zooms in on windows, so um, the Klingon Katinga ship the upside-down regular one, uh, the Epsilon 9, the orbital office complexes and stuff, they are so beautiful, and they have been presumably worked onto within an inch because there's no noticeable, like, shading around the borders or anything uh, on those scenes, and yet I know, obviously, they're composites because it would be either model shots or primitive effects for the ships themselves. People aren't actually... They're just on a soundstage or whatever, you know. So, but it's yeah. yeah, it gives you a real and that scene in particular because it is kind of I think it's called the orbital office complex. There's stuff going on in the windows and stuff that I'd never really noticed before. That gives you a real sense of this is a thriving kind of thing, even if they're not the focus at the moment. There's stuff going on that was like, oh, that's really cool. It just it just builds out that world a bit, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, well after forty years since it debuted, would you say? personally that you think it's now a finished project see that's a difficult question it depends how you look at it um i think as much as i don't want to speak for somebody who can't speak for himself i think this is to me a lot closer to what i would imagine robert wise envisioned and having seen some of his other stuff it's a lot closer to stuff like the day the earth stood still for example um yeah. so you get a lot of for me i think Again, I, I don't want to speak for anybody, but I feel like the special effects let his vision down a bit uh, in previous versions, whereas now I would like to think that if he was here and saw it, he would be like, yes, 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 that's what I wanted. But as a Star Trek nerd, as I say, um, there's always going to be people probably like yourself that are like, well, where's the deleted scenes? We could always chuck them in and do it, you know what I mean? And I'm not going to say that you can't do that, so to call it a finished thing when there's stuff that you could potentially add uh, or whatever... Yeah, it's hard to say that it's definitively finished. It's good enough for me, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, you can't you can't see. I mean, deleted scenes aside, or if someone inevitably, you know, 10, 20 years down the line decides to do a, a remastered unicorn version, uh, you're you would say you're quite happy with the the result as it stands, yeah. Oh, I love it. I can't wait to watch. I mean, I've ordered the, as you know, the Blu-ray of this version that I'm getting when it comes out. I don't have a 4K player, so it probably won't look that good or whatever. Um, but I'm just not down with the whole 4K thing because the price yes. difference for the for the leap in quality for me just isn't justifiable. Um, but yeah, I am still looking forward to watching the Blu-ray of it and seeing if some of the things that I've noticed are just me or and what it kind of plays like and stuff. But um yeah, I think I will say in part, I think part of it is just me growing older and developing an appreciation because I know what it is now. I know not to think, oh, I'm going to want some dynamic epic space battles or whatever, because that ain't happening. So, <laughs> but, yeah, but what is there is so stunning. And I had this conversation with my mum because she I mentioned to you uh, off air that when I told her I was seeing it, she was like, well, it's a long way to go for a, a good nap. And I was like, 
all right, as you said, harsh, but probably fair. Um, yeah. As I was telling her, like, what's there, I was like, yes, it still has the cool scene of them touring the Enterprise and stuff and lots of scenes of them lingering on ships and things. And she was like, you don't need those. It's overly descriptive. I was like, oh, you need those. Oh, I needed those. Yeah. <laughs> I could watch just that and be happy to be perfectly. I mean, not as happy, but still. So, yeah, um, I mean, every time, every time you, if you're a nerd like me, every time you notice a particular ship or craft or whatever on screen, you're going to be impressed. And aside from that, like I said, the number of actual frames, uh, I mentioned this in my letterbox review, sort of frames of the movie that now kind of look like works of art that are kind of, as I said, presumably what the director was aiming for. Uh, because the film kind of does seem to want you to have that sense of beauty and awe. And I will say space travel and stuff has never seemed less mundane, um, which is good. And I don't think that's been the case in any other of the movies because they kind of just always want to get on with the action. Or Yeah, they, they treat it more like a nine-to-five job, whereas this point yeah. it does come across as it's a very dangerous place to be. Yeah, completely. The danger of it is enhanced, but also, like I said, the sheer awe and the majesty of it all and the fact that it's like I said, the film, maybe this is me being pretentious, but for me, the film literally deliberately scales up because it goes from kind of tiny tram, Kirk talking to people to, wow, look at this massive starship to, you know, these are stations and stuff to, well, look at the size of this freaking thing. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. um, to, oh, no, I mean, it's going to destroy your planet, I guess, <laughs> would be the next stage. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, when it yeah. comes to the, the dry dock sequence, I think you either fall into the camp of you love it or you hate it. But yeah. I've always loved it. I could watch that go on for an, for another 20 minutes easily. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, we're knocking on a bit. But we weren't around when the original series were airing. So yeah. I, I, I still imagine sometimes what it must have been like for the fans that watched mm. the original series as it aired and then 10 years later sat down in the cinema and watch that sequence, that must have been just mind-blowing. Completely. And, I mean, the wonder of seeing these characters and these actors again probably can't be understated. Because to us, it's weird, because we've never had the gap between the original series where they thought nothing was happening and then this movie coming out. To us, it was like we watched the last episode of TOS or the animated and then stick it in the motion picture. Um, yeah. So having to have waited, whatever it was, and thinking, you know, that's it, Star Trek's done, and then seeing this entire cast back, and I will say I appreciated that, you know, this isn't unique to this version, but I appreciated that they tried to get everybody in there. So it was kind of nice seeing Majel Barrett as now Dr. Chapel. Um, yeah. And as much as it makes no sense for her to be operating the transporter, it was nice to see Grace Lee Whitney back for the first time yeah, since definitely. like the first season as Rand. Um, again, why she's the transporter chief, I don't know, but what the heck, it got her into the film, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, I will say as well, story-wise, and again, that's not specific to this version, it's always bugged me and still does that the logic behind the... There's lots of gaps in logic in the film, but the logic behind them having to launch the Enterprise being um, it's on its way to Earth and we're the only other ship in the sector. I'm still kind of, like, not cool with that because, like, Earth is the centre of Starfleet and the home of the Academy and the headquarters and yeah. stuff. Why is Enterprise the only ship anywhere near Earth? That doesn't really make sense to me. But it's, but it's, it's always the only ship in the sector or the quadrant. Well, that or... would make sense if it was a different sector, but they're literally orbiting Earth. And I'm like, you can't tell yeah. me there's not any other. I mean, at least maybe if, if it was me at the time, I'd have written in a line of dialogue saying we're the only ship that could be powerful enough to mount a defense that happens to be in the area. And then I'd be like, all right, you know, because given the scale of the new constitution and everything, 
maybe that is the point that it'd be pointless sending a little scout ship because it would probably just be wiped out. Or even if they'd said, which they do allude to, you know, we're sending the Enterprise because of Kirk's experience. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But all, all of these are minor nitpicks. I mean, oh, yeah. 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 yeah but they're things the that keep the film from being, to me, you know, 100% perfect, which is a, a bit of a shame. I think that's, I said, think that's yeah. why it's on, on my letterbox. I mean, I've not seen this version, obviously, but even even the previous versions on my letterbox, I've given it four stars. It's not perfect, mm. but to me, it's it's getting up there. Yeah, just to let the audience know these these kinds of things when there's new releases and stuff out, the aim is to probably have like bite-sized uh, reviews. We can always do longer podcast propers on them later, but we won't be getting into all the sections and favorite characters and all that gubbins um, until we do full-on podcasts. But if there's any new releases, you may see us chat for like 30 to 60 minutes here or on the Silver Screen podcast channel. Uh, yeah, like I said, the motion picture, if you're expecting that it's going to have improved and you don't like the film, and you're not a Star Trek fan, it's not going to sell you on it, I don't think. If you are a Star Trek fan like I am, I think it's going to give you a different experience, especially seeing it on the big screen. Like I said, it's weird, but I could put myself a lot more into the shoes of, as DK was uh, kind of alluding to, people in 79 that would have seen it at the cinema. And I think had I seen it then in that way, I certainly would have had a completely different appreciation for it because it does play better that way. Uh, because, like I said, it just enhances the sense of awe, or wonder, and scale, and all these words that I keep using that uh, are really all you can really say to this film. But having said that, the plot is still very slight. It still is kind of a rip-off of the episode, The Changeling. Um, that hasn't changed. But yeah. I still really like the kind of clever reveal at the end of what Vija is, which I won't spoil in case there's any happens to be any new viewers around. But <laughs> I've always kind of appreciated, even though it's kind of basic, I've always appreciated that kind of, oh, moment at the very end. Um, to just give you the kind of the final final say, I think, like I said, um, DK, you, you've mentioned you gave this four stars in the past. Personally, I gave it, I think, two, two and a half because it was never something that grabbed me. This one did, it, it grabbed hold of me a lot more and it made me appreciate a lot more of what the writers, director uh, and the cast even were going for and I appreciated loads more of it. Um, the experience itself was probably five star. But the film wasn't, and I hope that makes sense to people. It's just I had a very enjoyable time, but I can still see the flaws in the movie. So I couldn't, in good conscience, go that high with a score. But I will say that um, if you're asking me my score out of five, it has improved from a two, two and a half, to now a definite three and a half. Uh, and even that feels like maybe I could have stretched it a bit, but I would say definitely three and a half out of five stars for this version, which is significantly improved on, on my previous score. So, yeah. That's what I would go with. And I'm assuming that you would go up to now uh, with still just four out of five for whatever you've seen, DK. I'm still going with, with four. Uh, I'll I'll give you an updated estimation or an updated appraisal once I see the Blu-ray. I mean, it, it, yeah. the chances are it could it could remain at four. I mean, it's never going to be Wrath of Khan, but uh, I, I still have a great a great love for it. But uh, yeah, I'll, I just I'll hope everything say. hits. I, I really hope everything hits as well on Blu-ray as it did in the cinema and. Again, I think a lot of that might well depend on your sort of home entertainment setup and your system and everything. But if it does, it's going to be, I think, a really special thing and you'll really appreciate it. But again, I'm really intrigued to see what, what happens when you've seen this version and if you notice anything that I haven't, which you may well. Yeah. Nice one. Nice one. And I understand you've uh, you've got another treat in store because you'll be seeing Rafa Khan at the cinema next one, yeah? Yes, um, on, well, um, I don't know when to expect the review, but on Sunday the 4th of September, 
Uh, I'm going to see Wrath of Khan at the cinema for the first ever time. It's the director's cut as well. So again, expect a little tiny review of that probably. Uh, uh, in the meantime, this this uh, this being the hit or miss Star Trek channel, just to give you a hint of some things that are coming. We know we've been away for a while. We're just getting uh, our kind of house in order and everything. As you'll notice, our audio is significantly improved on what we've been trying to work with, especially over on the silver screen for the last sort of month or so. Um, so we've got that in hand now. We are going to be bringing you another interview uh, with a, a Trek alumni and a very special one, which I won't reveal until it's going to be released, but uh, that is going to be coming up before the next series. Don't worry, the next series is coming relatively soon, but you will have that. And you will have, as you as uh, DK mentioned, the sort of bite-sized review of Wrath of Khan. And uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, the full series of Trekker Mind, which is Star Trek Mastermind, which I've revealed on social media, but this is the big reveal of it here. Uh, unfortunately, it's not in fantastic audio quality, so my editor is still working uh, around the clock to try and get it to some salvageable level, but hopefully it's still going to be at least enjoyable, but that's just going to be a little extra. Uh, and then we will start the third series, which will be the start of the time travel series. I was just going to say, if you enjoyed this little review, please, you know, like, subscribe, tune in for the next ones. Hopefully we'll... Uh... We'll entertain you over the next next season. Definitely. And uh, if you've enjoyed this and you kind of are more interested in the film side of things, uh, do check out our sister podcast that I've mentioned, Silver Screen Podcast. You can find it as uh, just anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube or in any of the links in the descriptions that we tend to have. I'll pop it in the description for this video. So... Yeah, if you have any questions about the new version of the motion picture or you just want to compare notes if you've been to see it or chat about it, by all means, feel free to contact us on the socials below. And uh, yeah, thanks to Timeless Journey for our new intro and outros, which you'll be able to hear soon with all of our details on. Uh, you can check them out on SoundCloud as well. And yeah, thanks to DK for letting me ramble and having someone to ramble at about my cool experience. Well, always a pleasure to talk about the motion picture, man. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, yeah, enjoy uh, the rest of your night. And uh, everyone else at home, uh, take care. And uh, remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. You have been listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. The Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast is based on an idea by Michael Wilson and Will Templar. Follow the podcast on Twitter at HomeTrek, on Instagram at Home Star Trek Podcast, or look for the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.